0: Amen to that. God is a good, good Father. And I, uh, the task of putting together messages has taken on a very different uh, sense these days. Uh, I think we're asking questions we hadn't asked before and we're wondering about things maybe a lot of us hadn't spent time wondering about before. And that song is so appropriate, God's got the answers. And he's not afraid of our questions. And we're going to find out today as we look at Jonah that God isn't even a f- scared of or worried about or getting angry because Jonah gets angry and, and God doesn't get upset with him for it. Uh, <laughs> I started out earlier saying, good morning world. And I meant it. Good morning world. Uh, things have changed awful quickly. Our world has gotten an awful lot smaller. We realize that we are a part of this big round planet in ways that we maybe hadn't thought of before. So I hope this morning that you are safely at home, you are tucked away, uh, you are healthy, you are happy, and uh, I'm glad that you're here joining us. I'd like to encourage you, if you uh, haven't been to our church before, if you haven't followed us online, uh, go back to our website. And uh, you can find this whole series on Jonah and, and the series before it on voices, which uh, we talked about how important it is, the voices that we listen to and, and how that shapes who we are. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. But this whole series on Jonah that's been leading up today, you've got an opportunity to catch up on. And so Jonah, we find out, uh, Jonah was given a clear word from God and Jonah decided he didn't like it because he didn't like the people that God told him to go and talk to because Jonah was a prophet. And God wanted him to go give this uh, message to this group of people called the Ninevites. And Jonah decided he wasn't going to do that. He didn't like the Ninevites. And so he ran away. And so much of the book of Jonah is about the story of Jonah running from God, from not doing what God had asked him to do. And Jonah was just being rebellious. He ran literally in the opposite direction on the map from where God wanted him to go. Finally, God gives him a second chance. And, and Jonah says, okay, I'll go do what you're telling me I've got to do. But he didn't do it willingly. He did it pretty grumblingly. And so Jonah goes and tells the message to the people that God had told him to go warn. Jonah does it, and last week where we left off was with Jonah and God having a conversation, and Jonah was angry with God because God had compassion. God relented is the word that the Bible uses. He relented on the Ninevites, and he didn't bring destruction. And God asks Jonah this question, Do you even have any right to be angry? And I love that question because God could have gotten mad at him for a whole lot of different things, for running away, for not being obedient, for being rebellious, for being a whiny, for being all kinds of things. But the only thing that God says is, do you even have a right to be angry? It's a fair question, right? Jonah's a prophet. His job is to proclaim whatever message it is that God sends him to proclaim and whoever it is that God tells him to go proclaim it to. And usually it's God's coming judgment on people who didn't want to hear it. So it wasn't a fun job. But it doesn't say that Jonah had a problem with the job. He just had a problem with the people he was supposed to go talk to. See, whenever God brings judgment on a people in the Bible, He always sends a prophet to warn them ahead of time. It's almost like God wants to give them a heads up in the event that they maybe want to listen and change their ways. But as people, we don't do that very often. We're not real inclined to that. I I think maybe the best example for us uh, that I can think of in our world is when you go to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, you've gained too much weight or you need to quit smoking or you need to change your diet or you need to exercise more or you need to do whatever it is. Maybe you're drinking too much. You need to stop drinking. And if you don't, you're not going to live. And the doctor's got all this evidence. The test results show it. You look in the mirror and you know it. And the the doctor's just telling you what you already know. Most of us, though, we don't pay attention to the doctor and we just keep on doing what we're doing, living the way we're living, even though we know the doctor is probably right, that it's going to kill us. So despite the the evidence and the doctor's advice, we do what we want to do, not what's best for us. Jonah brought this word of judgment to these people who had been living, doing what they wanted to do, not what was best for them, not what God wanted them to do. So today's the time that we uh, we kind of turn towards home and we hit the home stretch and we see what Jonah's life and how his attitude speaks so loudly into our lives today. And so this is a great book in the Bible. Some have have thought maybe it's one of the historically the oldest books in the Bible, but it's a great book in the Bible because at the end what we find out is that this whole passage, the entire book of Jonah, really speaks to us. And so in verse one or verse one of chapter four. Uh, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, that it's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? Jonah tried to delay God's plan. Forestall means to put off, to stop. Jonah admits that his whole effort is, direct, is in direct opposition to God's will. Jonah is quite an honest character study in how people think. I honestly believe that if we took the meaning of these events in the heart of Jonah along with his really what seems like foolish but his complete and brutal honesty, we get a frightening look at what our own motivations and our own actions might be and where they come from and why. See, Jonah goes on and he says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, Jonah pleads, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So that's where we left off last, last week, and it makes me wonder if you've ever had that thought. See, it's interesting to me that God doesn't challenge Jonah's statement of wanting to be dead. He he doesn't challenge this idea that it's better off that he die because the other people got to live. God challenges Jonah on this statement if he really has a right to be angry. It's a good question. What right did Jonah have? Now, my guess is that every single one of us has been angry at God at one point or another in our lives. Maybe you're okay with that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've been so angry with God that you've decided that, God, I don't care whether you're real or not. I'm not going to believe in you because I'm mad at you. Maybe you got mad at God because He didn't judge or punish someone the way you felt they deserved to be punished because of something you, they had done to you. Different people have different reasons for getting angry with God, but they always lead to different responses. And for some folks, them getting angry at God causes them to turn and to walk away from God. And what we find out in this passage that You know, it's okay to be angry with God. God isn't going to send fiery darts of lightning to crispy fry you right on the spot because you're angry. However, God may ask you if you have any right to be angry, just like He did with Jonah. He may put that thought in your mind one day when you settle down and you come to your senses and you're not quite as seethingly mad as you were. And you might think, do I really have a right to be angry about this? And when you think about that, My advice to you reading the book of Jonah and and the rest of the Bible is be careful with your answer. Be very, very careful with your answer because we may feel like we have a right to be angry, but when it comes to being angry with God, it may mean that we think we know better than God knows for our lives. And that's a very, very frightening place for us to be. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah made a lean-to, a tent, uh, uh, some Bible translations call it a booth, something to sit down, and and I have to imagine there was a part of Jonah that was going to just keep a safe distance because, you know, fire and brimstone falling like fireworks from heaven was probably something you wanted to stay out of the way of, and he was still hoping that something like that would happen to Nineveh. He was hoping God would do something to punish them. So he relented, maybe he'd wipe out half of them, I don't know. My guess is Jonah was the kind of guy from what we've read at this point that if he could have done it, he would have gone and he would have ordered an extra large buttered popcorn and an extra large soda and sat back and watched the show. Because Jonah seems to be that far away from really truly understanding and accepting God's heart. But mostly and this is I think of truth for you and I so often when we get angry, mostly I think what Jonah was really doing was just pouting. He was mad at God and he was pouting. He went outside the city and he sat on a hill and he put his head down and he started to pout, just like we do when we don't get our own way. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. It's important that we understand what really happens here. The words of the Bible are very, very clear, but it's easy to pass over them. God provided A big old leafy plant in the middle of the desert to provide shade for Jonah. Now that plant probably grew in the area, but it was probably pretty unusual that that plant sprung up that quickly and just happened to provide shade over Jonah's head. Why would God do that? Why would God want to give shade to Jonah who's being angry and so difficult? Well, God was being gracious. God is being compassionate because Jonah was probably an old bald guy like me. God wanted to ease his discomfort. And why would God do that? For the very reason that Jonah is angry with God. Because God is compassionate. And I have to wonder, if so often when we get angry with God, if we get angry because God does for someone else what God has already been doing for us. And we think there's something special about us that we should get all of God's attention or all of God's favor or all of God's compassion. See, God does for Jonah the very same thing that God, that Jonah is angry at God for doing for the Ninevites. God shows compassion, but Jonah is so selfish, he's so caught up in himself that he's happy about the plant because it served him, but unhappy that God would have spared 120,000 lives. And I read Jonah, and and for years I've read it. And, you know, it's it's a true telling of history because the Bible doesn't say that it's a story. It's telling the story of a prophet's life. But it kind of reads like a comic book, not because the Bible can't be taken seriously, but some of it Jonah can't. I mean, the guy is just sort of ridiculous. But the whole thing is true. And it makes me wonder, what would your life story and my life story really read like if it was recorded in the words of the Bible? If the Bible really recorded the true events of your life, I wonder how many segments of ours would read more like a comic book than anything else. Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant, so it withered. Well, now things are getting interesting. Jonah's sitting out on this hill, just hanging out, waiting for the impending doom that he hopes is going to fall on the Ninevites. And God provides a worm, which I'm sure Jonah didn't see, and the worm chews at the plant, And the plant withers and the leaves fall and it stops providing shade. Makes me think back to the book of Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We like when the Lord giveth, don't we? At least for us when it's good stuff. In this case, as with our lives, God does both. For Jonah, He gave and then He took away. We like the part where God gives us the things that we like and the things that we want and the things that we think we deserve. But we don't like when... God takes those parts away. And I think what our world is realizing, what our nation is really realizing right now is the things that we thought we had a right to, the things that we took for granted, the things that we thought we deserved, slowly, because of the situation that's happening, those things are getting a little bit less reliable. Uh, We can't count on them quite as much. They're getting a little bit further away. And so either we can do what Jonah did and get angry, or we can do what the Bible would say, and that is to look to God and give thanks. Give thanks for the fact that that we're still here. We have the chance to gather. We still have food. And I'm guessing most of you still have more than enough toilet paper. It's important that we don't become so consumed with anger and fear that we forget to see where the blessing is all along. Verse 8, "...when the sun rose..." So this is the morning time now, right? "...when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint." He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And at this point, reading the book of jonah if you read it all the way through, you would be so sick of this guy's whining that it's just incredible. But it's interesting to note, and Ryan shared with me this week, he had found this bit of information and said that the winds coming from the east into Nineveh would typically have come down from the mountain, and there would have been cooling winds in the desert. But the Bible makes it clear that this is a scorching wind. This is different. And the Bible says that God provided that scorching wind along with the sun and the plant that is gone. And our man Jonah is getting so baked in the sun and his bald head is getting so red that he's growing faint. But Jonah's response isn't to say, man, God, thank you. Thank you for the plant you provided yesterday. That was really some great shade. It isn't to be grateful for what he's had or even to say, you know, God, I've been thinking about it. I owe you an apology. I'm really glad you decided to spare those 120,000 people because as I look back on it, I probably should have died in the belly of that fish, but I didn't. And so, you know, for me and for them, I want to say thanks, but He didn't do that. He didn't ask for new shade. He didn't ask for cool water. Instead, what Jonah did, He went back to His tried and true woe is me. It would be better if I was dead. And I said last week that Jonah is a wimp. He is a faithless old curmudgeon. He's a whiner. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So once again, a patient God asks Jonah if he has any right to be angry about a plant that isn't there anymore that Jonah didn't plant, he didn't put it in the ground, he didn't water it, he didn't care for it, he didn't ask for it, and he didn't say thank you. Jonah Jonah is showing himself to be an idiot in the face of God's compassion and God's power. And what I've said every week in this series is, don't be like Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right for us to be angry because our lives are suddenly disrupted? Is it right for us to be angry because suddenly there isn't as many things on the grocery store shelves as we're used to? Is it right for us to be angry because suddenly the job that we had counted on and relied on, but had never said thank you for, suddenly isn't there? Not saying that those aren't real hardships. But I'm saying, do we really have a right to be angry about it? Jonah's response, and this is why I say be careful about what your response is. God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah's response is, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Can you just hear him say that? God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God already knew the answer to the question. The answer to the question was no. It isn't right. Jonah probably sat up straight and said, it is. So angry, I wish I was dead. I see a lot of Christians, actually. Are like Jonah. They ignore God. You know, as Christians, we don't say thank you for the way that God provides for us every day our home and our food, our resources, the things that we enjoy, family and friends, our finances. God doesn't ask very much back at all. He asks that we have a heart of generosity, that we share the things that we have with other people, because the Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing, right? And then God asks that we return 10% back to Him so that others in the church can help do the good work of sharing the good news with others. God doesn't ask for very much. And yet so many of us ignore God and the wisdom of other believers around us. And like Jonah, we insist that we're right. We insist that our way is right. Like Jonah, they believe the world revolves around them and they forget that God is the one that causes the world to revolve. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? In these few and simple words, God brings the entire book of Jonah to a conclusion. As a prophet... Jonah should have been concerned about the people that he spoke to. He should have, been care- he should have cared about what happened to them. He should, have been- he should have cared that they would have listened and responded in a way that God relented, but Jonah didn't. He was angry that they listened and that God relented. Jonah should have cared about all of them. As a man of God who had been called and sent, the only person that Jonah cared about was himself. He didn't care about the 120,000 people that God had sent him to warn. He cared about a plant that wasn't his in the first place that died and made his life a little less comfortable. And I think if Jonah cared more about a dead plant than 120,000 people, what about us? What about you? What about me? What do we really care about? And I find it interesting in this passage that God clearly cares about the people. He knew the exact number. But the last thing he says in that verse, but also many animals. God is compassionate and loving. Remember, God created the animals too. And the animals were all a part of this process of repentance. The animals, it says the cows were covered in sackcloth. The king wanted to make so sure that God understood how repentant and sorry they were. God is compassionate and loving. Jonah was not. What about you? What about me? What, what would people say about us? Do you, do you see where this hits home? So let's ask a couple of just kind of simple, easy, goofy, honest questions. Given your mindset over the last ten days, have you spent more time glued to the television watching the news that is basically the same message over and over and over? Have you spent more time doing that or have you spent more time in God's Word? Have you spent more time talking to people about this virus, or have you spent more time talking to God about what you should be doing with them in the middle of this virus? H- have you spent more time caring about other people and how it is that you can help them, or have you spent more time caring about whether or not you've got your own stash of toilet paper for the zombie apocalypse that isn't coming? Do you care about the power that your chosen political party has, or do you care about the people that that party is responsible for taking care of? Do you care about your neighbor who might not look like you, or think like you, or talk, or worship like you, or do you care about your own comfort? Do you care about stepping across boundaries, keeping appropriate social distancing, of course? Do you care about stepping across boundaries to share the good news of Jesus with someone who doesn't know Him? Or do you use the excuse that I'm supposed to stay at home and not talk to people? See, we're entering into this new time in our world's history where, where if we don't care more about other people and their health and their well-being and their spiritual well-being, if we don't care more about that than the stuff that makes our lives comfortable, then we become the problem. And yet in the Bible, we are so clearly called as Christians. As believers in Jesus, as those who know our Savior, we are so clearly called to be the one that brings the good news to the world rather than being the problem that the world has to deal with. See, in these uncertain days, God's call to Jonah is really not much different than God's call to you and I. We are to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also, as it says in the book of James. How do we do that? Well, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Jonah didn't do that. Jonah loved himself. We are to be light in the darkness. How do we do that? It doesn't necessarily mean a flashlight, but if a neighbor needs one, you could probably loan them one. More important than that, you know the truth. And the truth is that the only hope that we have in this life, the only hope that we have for eternity is Jesus. That's the light. We're to put aside what we want in favor of whatever it is that God wants from us. Jonah reminds us that what happens to us as believers is in God's hands. But what we do as believers, the actions that we choose to take, the stand we choose to make, the words and the hope that we choose to share, that's up to us. See, before we started this series on Jonah, we did a series called Voices. And our point was that we need to take a serious look and to be responsible for the voices that we give authority to in our mind And where do they come from? What are they saying? What are they telling us? And what are they causing us to believe and to do? Because those voices, they become our thoughts and our thoughts become the actions that define our lives. Jonah listened to the voice of anger and it made him think that he had a right to be self-centered and it defined what he did. It defined his relationship with God and it defined what we know of him. He ignored God's Word and he chose to listen to the voice of anger and the the voices that we listen to it can be a biblical preacher it can be the voice of a divisive politician who says what we want to hear it can be the voice of a news person who goes on and on and on delivering news that causes you a sense of fear and panic and doom and gloom in order to keep you glued to a television screen in order to bring home the advertising dollars but those voices become what set the course for our life every voice literally causes a chemical to be reduced or released in our brain Did you know that your brain's favorite chemical is cortisol? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Essentially, cortisol is a chemical alarm system that alerts you to potential danger. It it heightens your awareness. It increases your heart rate. It it puts your thinking on survival mode, meaning our brain releases cortisol in what we perceive to be potentially dangerous situations. But, But here's the crazy thing is that negative thoughts also cause the release of cortisol. Then there's another chemical in our, do- in our brain. It's, it's a much more quiet chemical. It's called dopamine. It's released when something feels good or when we get a compliment. It, dopamine is, is kind of the brain's equivalent of sitting on a beach chair on a warm, sunny day facing the ocean listening to the waves roll in. That causes dopamine to be released in your brain. It's why those sounds are in sleep machines. Dopamine calms us, settles us down, relaxes us. See the problem though is our brains like cortisol. Our brain naturally likes cortisol more than dopamine. Meaning our minds are naturally attracted to dangerous or potentially negative thoughts more than they are positive ones, which is why we pursue those. Cortisol is the reason you stay glued to the terrifying news channel and you aren't out doing something productive. Cortisol keeps you anxious. It keeps you on edge, on your toes. And the cable news networks know it. The more they cause fear and anxiety to rule in your mind, the more you're going to watch. After all, you don't want to miss out on any late-breaking development. I mean, there might be something that happens new in the spread of the coronavirus. That fear of missing out that we hear about. That's why the Bible says that we have to work. We We have to intentionally work. To take captive every thought thought and we have to control that negative thinking we all worry i mean admit it we do ninety percent of what we worry about never becomes a reality our brains like the chemical response to the negative worry and the negative thinking that's part of why we do it she jonah he let arrogance and self-centeredness and anger grow in him like a cancer and if we aren't careful the same thing can happen to us with anger or unforgiveness or even the choice to be glued to gloom and doom TV. So, you know, I I can real quickly here, I can save you dozens of hours, literally. Years of wear and tear on your heart, not literally. Here's the deal, COVID-19 is real. It's a real thing, it's not made up. I don't know where it came from, don't know how it spread around the world so fast, you can figure that out on your own, but the fact is it's spreading. And it isn't done with its march across America. There you go, there's the bad news. However, you can do something about it because we hear that all the time as well and most of us ignore it like a doctor's orders. You can stay away from other people. It's that simple. If you're, on, if you're not around other people, you don't get the virus. Boom, there you go. There's the newsflash. But like Jonah, we don't listen. We ignore that part and we keep doing our routine because we like it. We don't want to not be able to live life on our terms. And so the virus spreads and spreads and spreads. Like Jonah, we don't listen. We want to set our own course. And then you know what happens? We get angry. We get angry when something doesn't go our way. We we don't need cable news to tell us what you already know. But your brain likes the cortisol. It likes the negative. It thrives on the negative. It's why Jonah kept going back to wanting to die. It's why people worry more than we pray. Prayer. That's one of those things that causes dopamine to just flood our minds and we relax because we realize God truly is in control. And then we step away and we turn on the news and then we get hit with cortisol and we get anxious and worried and nervous and afraid. See, here's the thing with Jonah. He admits to his rebellion. He admits to trying to get in the way and stopping God's plan. He says, I, it was my effort to I attempt to forestall you, God. He admits to being angry with God because God dares to have compassion on people that Jonah doesn't like. What all of it means is that the same thing I said a couple of weeks ago is that Jonah knows God's heart. Jonah knows who God is, what God is made of, and what God wants in the world. Jonah knows that God is a God of compassion. Jonah knew from the very beginning that God's desire would be to save the people of Nineveh, not to destroy them. God knew, or Jonah knew that was God's heart. And then as this thing goes on, we learn just how selfish and foolish Jonah really is. We know from the Scripture that God isn't moved by our anger. He'll question us about it like He does with Jonah. God isn't greatly moved by our selfishness. He's disappointed in us. God isn't even moved by our desperation, no matter how desperate our prayers are. We know that God is moved by hearts that are humble. Hearts that are loving, that love our neighbors and other people as much as we love God and ourselves. Hearts that are giving. People who are generous and people who are obedient. And so now there comes a time where you get to respond. You get to decide who you will be. You know what God wants from you. I do. We all do. It's here in God's Word. It's not a secret. We know that God wants us to be in a personal relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. That's why He sent Jesus as a baby To be born on earth as a human, to live, to be crucified, dead, and buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. Not only so that he could have new life, but so that we could have new life. We know that God wants us to be in a personal relationship with him through Jesus. And we also know that once we have that security, once we know that truth for ourselves, once we have claimed that promise, God wants us to share the good news of Jesus with others. God has told us, go and tell others what Jesus has done. But like Jonah, (laughs) the question comes to this, what will you do? Will you believe in Jesus? Will you go and tell others? Where are you this morning? What do you believe? Where where is your faith? Are, Are you putting your faith in medicine that we still haven't gotten figured out for this thing? Or are you putting your faith in the God who will carry you not only through this life, but all the way through eternity? What do you believe in? If you don't believe in Jesus, what is it going to take for you to listen? What will it take for you to understand that the only truth in the world that is everlasting and unchanging is Jesus, is God's love for you because the world that you thought you could trust two weeks ago is gone. Very likely, it's not ever going to be quite the same ever again. But God is unchanging in the past, today, and for the future. And yet we keep trying to hold on like Jonah to the things that we want and we try to forestall and push off what's really happening. And God is giving us an incredible opportunity as a nation to do what the Ninevites did, is to hear His Word, to acknowledge and to believe in Him and to repent of our sins. And what you've got the opportunity to do then is to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. It doesn't mean instantly you've got immunity to the disease. No, you don't. What it means is that you've got a promise of everlasting life. If you don't know Jesus, if you have never accepted Him, if you've pushed Him off, if you've been Jonah and run the other way, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to stop right now, right here where we are, wherever you are. Now I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Because maybe... In two weeks, your world is even going to change more than it has in the two weeks that have passed. But if you don't have Jesus and you don't know Him as your personal Savior, you can go into those two weeks ahead of you with hope and with the promise that whatever happens, it doesn't matter because you know where you're going. So I'm going to just ask you right where you are, um, whether you're alone or with other people, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and ask you to pray with me. And if we get to the part where you say, yep, this is me, you don't have to do anything. You know, if you're all alone and you don't feel too crazy about it, you could raise your hand and just let Jesus know, yeah, I'm talking I'm talking about you, God. So let's pray. Gracious God, you uh, are in control of everything. Everything that happens is in your hands. Nothing on this earth, nothing in this universe happens outside of your knowledge, outside of, of what you know about us. And so, God, this uh, COVID-19 that we're facing that's causing so much widespread panic and scare and fear and, and uh, all kinds of things, God, it's not news to you. You know what it is, you know what you're going to do through it, and you know where it's going to end. But we don't. What we can know is that you are the one who has all of it in your control, and because you created and love us, you have each one of us in your hands. So, God, for everybody that's listening right now who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would make you real. That, that you would just move in their heart in a way that maybe they've never known or experienced you before. God, that they would they would not be able to, to explain whatever that feeling is that you're causing in them right now. They can't explain it away as anything else other than that's you knocking on the door of their heart. And God, to everyone who is willing to open that up and let Jesus in, God, we just ask that that the prayer would be as simple as this. And so if this is you, pray with me. Jesus, I, I believe you. I believe that God's Word is true. I believe that you came to die for my sins. And Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And so, just like you were raised from the grave to a new life, Jesus, give me a new life. I want to live in you. I want to live for you. God, you may not take away our fears, but you can take away our reason for fears. And so, God, we just give you thanks for anyone and everyone who just prayed that very simple prayer. We ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would grow in them, that Jesus would become real, that you would become real, and that their life moving forward from this very moment would be different because you promised us a new life, that it would be very different from the life that we lived up to that moment. In Jesus' name, amen. See, God's using this situation that we've got right now to turn our world upside down. He did that 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus. He's doing something brand new right now in our lifetimes, and we are literally living witnesses to whatever it is that God is doing. We've got this global opportunity to acknowledge God, our Creator, to submit to His divine authority, to believe in Him, and to repent. Now, I'm not one of those that's going to say that that COVID-19 is God's execution of judgment on the world. Um, Certainly, we were warned by a lot of people that this kind of thing might happen. But I'm not one of those guys that's saying this is what God's intention was. What I'm saying is this is our opportunity to respond to God. It's our opportunity to believe in Him and to repent. It's a golden opportunity to be people of faith, to be bearers of real hope and, and real healing, real love and fullness of life in Jesus. There's a world around us and some of those people only know the devastating effects of having their brains washed in bad news. Will you be the obedient ones that bring to them the good news that you know of Jesus? Are you willing to begin with you? That's where it begins is if each and every one of us says, you know what, I'll do my part, God. I'll do my part. I will bring the good news. Will you repent and believe in Jesus as the only one who can save you? If your answer is yes and you're a believer, then be the one that brings the good news of great joy and our only hope to a world that is in fear, just waiting to die, just like Jonah. Like Jonah, God's called and is sending you to tell people about the hope that we have in Him through Jesus, even to people you don't know, that you don't like, that don't look like you, that don't believe what you believe or who have been mean to you. Will you go? Is the good news of Jesus something that you're willing to share? Because the same God who was compassionate in Jonah's day is compassionate today. And He wants us to be compassionate as well. See, you've got the word of hope that the world needs to hear. You know the vaccine to all of our fears. It's Jesus. So how about this? Use whatever technology you've got available. Use your phone, use your computer, use your iPad. Use whatever it is that you've got. And stop focusing so much and worrying about the fear of the virus. They've told us how we cannot spread that. Just listen and be obedient. And instead, go spread some good news, the good news of Jesus, the only thing that will really save people. Jesus, the only one who will really save any of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to read about Jonah. Thank you for the opportunity to see in one man's life all the ways to make mistakes that we don't have to make. Thank you, God, that you have shown us honesty in what he thinks and the way that he's willing to talk about you, or talk to you. And that even in all of that, God, you showed compassion to 120,000 people that didn't deserve your compassion, and you showed compassion to a man who didn't deserve your compassion. You could have been angry with him when he was angry with you, and you weren't just like you could be angry with us for being angry with you. But God, you show compassion on us. Help us to respond, not with arrogance, but with gratitude. Help us to respond to the gift that you sent us in Jesus with a simple thank you, accepting Him, believing in Him for who He is, and believing in Him, believing in you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, one of the cool things that uh, this opportunity has given us is that wherever you are, wherever you live, no matter how far away from where we are right now that you might be, you can join us in small groups online. If you go to our website, you can get connected. And Pastor Jeff who was just up here sharing with you, Pastor Jeff is the one that's coordinating all of that. And so we can plug you into a whole lot of different small groups. All you got to do is let us know that you're out there and you want to get connected. Uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service this week We or year. We had planned on doing a Good Friday drama. Obviously, that can't happen. And so for the first time ever in 10 years, we're doing a Good Friday service. It's going to be at 6 p.m. More information on that coming out. And then Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, uh, the next couple of weeks, live just like this, starting at 1030. So you might be wondering, what can I possibly do? Just little old me sitting at home, what can I possibly do to help out? I'm going to give you a really simple answer. You know what you can do? You can be for the people who you are surrounded by, the people that look to you and trust you. You can do a most incredibly important thing for them. You can be the voice of truth. We struggle in our country to know what to believe, but you can be the voice of truth. And the thing that's really awesome about that is it doesn't even have to be your truth they have to believe. It's God's truth that they get to believe. And so, you know, everybody out there is wondering what's going on, what's happening, what's next, what's, what's, what's. We don't have those answers. But you've got the truth. You've got the truth of Jesus. And you can share that with them. And there is no single more important conversation that you're going to have this week.